And today they've asked me to talk about anxiety. And I guess really it's something that everybody in this room knows something about, isn't it? There isn't one of us here that hasn't known what it's like to feel anxious. But it's particularly important when we're talking about children and young people with special educational needs and disabilities because we know that for children we'd send, many of them are predisposed to anxiety. And it's often difficult, isn't it, for us to understand why sometimes our children are so anxious. And I don't know about you, we're all grown-ups, aren't we? But sometimes we can feel anxious and stressed about things and not be quite sure why, because our lives are so busy, we're going to work, we're being parents, we've got lots of other things going on in our lives, that often we don't realise we're anxious until we stop because we're exhausted. And sometimes we have to allow ourselves some time to reflect on, actually, why do I feel this anxious? What's the reason for it? And for most of us who are adults, we can sit there and think, right, okay, it's the job, or I'm worried about my child, or I'm worried about the mortgage. Or... But for young children, it's much more difficult for them to understand how they are feeling, never mind why. And I've yet to meet a child who's come up to me and said, I'm, hiya Tony, but I, I need to say I'm having some trouble at school and some trouble sleeping is because I'm suffering with anxiety. <laughs> Children don't have that degree of self-awareness, do they? And they don't have that kind of language skill. So what we tend to see when our children are suffering from anxiety is that anxiety finds some expression through their behaviour. And we can see changes in their behaviour. It might be that they're not sleeping well. They might not be eating properly. They might be eating too much. They might be getting short-tempered, easily frustrated, squabbling with their brothers and sisters. And it's difficult, isn't it, for parents sometimes to understand what is it about our children that's making them behave in a certain way? And it can be quite easy for us to miss the fact that they might actually be suffering from anxiety. And I hear lots of parents say to me, particularly about, because we work with a lot of children with ADHD, um, especially, and, and they say, you know, my daughter or my son, they're really affectionate one thing about them, they're so much more affectionate than my other children. And often the parents don't understand that actually that affection is a need to feel held or close to mum and dad because they find that soothing and they get reassurance from it. It's not just that they're affectionate, it's because they're seeking some kind of comfort and reassurance from mum and dad. And I guess really what we need to try and understand, and one of the basic messages of this morning's presentation is, we need to ask ourselves, what is our child's behaviour communicating to us that they're not able to either understand themselves or not able to tell us or explain to us what it is? And quite often, certainly with very young children, it's enough for them to get a cuddle off mum and dad 
and some one-to-one -one time with mum and dad, and that will help soothe them. But it's really helpful for us to understand whether our children have a constant state of anxiety, which a lot of children with learning difficulties do, or whether there is some reason behind that anxiety. And is there anything that we can do as parents or carers or grandparents that can somehow reduce some of those triggers or factors that cause that kind of anxiety? But I guess, really, we've got to start with the question, well, what is it? And a lot of people get confused between stress and anxiety. Stress is, or can be, a good thing. Stress is our body's ability to produce certain hormones and chemicals that enable us to deal with high-pressure situations, whether that's as an athlete who's about to run in the Olympics, or whether that's you as mum and dad trying to get the tribe ready at breakfast in the morning and off to school without there being any kind of friction or fractious behaviour. So we have this ability to be more alert, to move more quickly, to be more vigilant. So stress can sometimes be a good thing. When the stress is constant, however, when the stress is pervasive, then it can become a constant state of anxiety. Anxiety is almost this thing that seems to be there for quite a while. So what happens when we're stressed? Our blood pressure goes up, we might start to perspire a little bit more, our heart will start to race, our breathing will become a little bit more shallow, and our body is sending all kinds of hormones to different parts of our, our, our feet and our hands so that we're able to, to do more than we would do normally. It's almost like a turbocharge. With anxiety, it's not just about reacting to a, a stressor from our environment. Anxiety is also about something within ourselves. Um, how many people in here would say that their children are worriers? Yeah. And for those children, it, it would seem that it's not that there's anything going on in the environment. They just seem to be in a, a worried state a lot of the time. And that's, that's what anxiety is. It's also an internal thing in our minds. And... Stress, I guess, can be defined as, or, or anxiety really, or could also be defined as, when we, when we doubt that we have the ability to cope with what our environment is demanding of us. When we feel that there's too many things going on at once, and we just, you know, if they were on their own, we'd manage them perfectly well. But when they all come together, we start to feel overwhelmed. We start to think, I'm not, I, I can't cope with this. And that's where we really need to think about what can we do to manage our anxiety or our stresses because our stresses and our anxiety impact on our children. Children can sense when mum and dad are anxious or stressed. But we also need to understand it and understand how stress and anxiety affects them.
and what might be some of the underlying causes of it. So, if I were to ask all of you to cast your mind back to the last time in your life where you were feeling a little bit anxious or stressed, um, how did it affect your behaviour? You were short-tempered. Anybody else got anything that... Couldn't multitask. Great. So, what else? Couldn't keep still. How many people here are a bit fidgety and can't kind of quite sit still when they're anxious, yeah? Okay. Anything else? Can't sleep properly. Feeling exhausted. Do you know, that's, that's true, isn't it? Because when we're stressed for a long time, our bodies are producing lots of adrenaline... And that's quite exhausting. It's a bit like driving a car with one foot on the accelerator and one foot at the brake. You're using an awful lot of energy and not getting very far. And it's interesting that whenever I ask parents, what are, they, you know, what, what are you like when you're really stressed? And they'll say things like, oh, I'm, I'm irritable, I'm forgetful, I can't organise myself, I can't sleep well, I'm irritable, I'm frustrated. And I just say, Do you know, all that sounds exactly like ADHD. Doesn't it? <laughs> and that also tells you something, doesn't it, about what it's like to be a child with ADHD. Because every day is a bit like that for them. There is what we call comorbid anxiety, this kind of coexisting state of anxiety for a lot of children with ADHD and indeed with autism. It's something about the way their brains work. And one of the best things that we can do for our children in terms of their happiness and well-being and their future mental health is to help them develop strategies to manage their anxiety. To give them the confidence that even when they're not feeling very good and feeling a bit anxious, there are some things that they can do that can help them calm down and deal more effectively with the situation they're in. And again, it's one of the reasons why schools like Witherslack um, and why we enjoy working with Witherslack schools is it's not just about teaching the national curriculum, it's about looking after children, nurturing children, and helping to address all the other needs that they have, their mental health needs, their physical health needs, all those things that are going to help them achieve their academic potential. And I don't know if any of you are familiar with this chap called Maslow. He came up with this theory of a hierarchy of needs. And the truth is that if children are ever going to really reach the pinnacle of their potential and ability, we have to address all the stuff at the bottom. And it's not just about telling children what we want them to do and be. We have to give them the skills, the strategies, the confidence, the self-belief and the psychological resilience in order for them to achieve that potential. I mentioned before that sometimes stress can be really good. Um, we do some work at the foundation with some um, 
very successful people um, and also some successful sportsmen, particularly sportsmen, not so many sportswomen. And they're people who put their bodies through a phenomenal amount of stress. But when they're putting their bodies through a phenomenal amount of stress, they're happy. They're passing the winning line. There is something about using your ability for stress in a way that's positive. They're pumping lots of adrenaline and cortisol and other stress hormones, but actually they're also producing lots of hormones like dopamine and serotonin, which make them feel happy and well. So not all stress is bad. And this is one of the reasons as well why we say to parents, don't underestimate the effectiveness of daily physical exercise for your children. Lots of cardiovascular exercise is a great way of building resilience within their nervous systems so that they're better able to deal with stressful situations. So, there are some positives. We know that stress and anxiety can be helpful to us when we have to deal with difficult or stressful situations. And actually, sometimes stress and anxiety can be a great motivator. I remember being a student and getting really stressed because it was Thursday night, I had an essay due in on Friday morning, and Thursday's half-price drinks night for students. And I would have to deal with the stress of the choice about, do I go for half-price drinks? Um, or do I do the assignment that's due in the next day, when really I should have done the assignment on Monday? So we do need to have, I think, an understanding that sometimes stress and anxiety can be a good thing if we use it for the way that it was intended. Human nature is very, very intelligent. We wouldn't have the ability or the capacity for stress or anxiety if it wasn't an essential part of what it is to be a human being. The important thing is that we use it appropriately and that we make sure that our stress or anxiety doesn't become pervasive and doesn't become part of everyday living because then that's when we become ill or unwell. How many people here, when you go on holiday, find that the first couple of days that you're actually on holiday is when you get a sore throat or a cold? <laughs> yeah? And it's because when you're stressed, your immune system is suppressed. And lots of people go, ah, just, you know what, especially teachers, always get sick in half term. And they go, why didn't I get sick during term time? And it's because actually you need to be resting for a little bit without the stress and pressure for your immune system to start working properly. So we can have some good things about stress and we need to understand that there are different types of stress and anxiety. For some it's about we have a stress or an anxious response to a situation and then there are other times where that stress or anxiety is, is an internal it's an internal thing. It's driven by thoughts or feelings that are perhaps not appropriate um, or unhelpful. How many people here have ever got through a really stressful day? You've dealt with children who are really demanding. You've gone into work. You've had loads of things there. I had a day a couple of weeks ago. I did exactly the same thing. 
kept really calm. I got home, seven o'clock in the evening. I thought, right, I'll have a shower. I banged my toe on the, on the bathroom door. I can't tell you what I call the bathroom door because they're filming this talk. But it wasn't the bathroom door at all. It was just the fact that I built up all these elevated levels of stress hormones throughout the day. And then it took just a little thing to tip me over the edge. And I often hear stories, you know, they say, well, I can't understand why Billy got so upset and angry um, because he got, you know, he got spaghetti hoops instead of beans, or he can't find his particular action toy. Why is he getting so upset with that? And often it is about the fact that maybe there are lots of other things that have gone on. Um, and I often tell the story about a parent who rang me up and said, I'm really, really angry. My boy's been excluded from school for fighting. And I went, well, you know, if they're the school rules, then they're the school rules. You can't, you know, she said, but he's got ADHD. I said, well, ADHD is not an excuse for, for poor behaviour and, and, and underachievement. You know, he's got to take it that he shouldn't fight in school. But she said, but the boy he was fighting with didn't get excluded. And I'm going, right, okay. And the other boy started the fight. And the other boy admitted that he started the fight. And I'm like, right, okay. I said, so how come your son got excluded and the other boy didn't then? He said, well, this other boy's been bullying my son. And we all know that children with special needs get bullied a lot more than other children. They do. We know that. And it's very distressing for parents because you feel quite helpless that you're unable to protect your child sometimes from things like that. And it turns out that little Billy had been getting bullied by this boy for quite a while. And this other boy was needling him and provoking him. And then one day in class, the boy was bullying him through a pencil and it hit Billy in the back of the head. And I said to him, well, what did Billy do? She said, well, Billy got up and threw a chair. And I said, well, you know, that's not acceptable behaviour. And she said, but he's been bullied mercilessly for weeks and weeks and weeks. And it was just the thing that tipped him over the edge. And the teacher was saying, well, I'm sorry, but you shouldn't have thrown a chair. All he did was throw a pencil at you. It was a disproportionate reaction. How many of us in this room have ever had, like me, kicking the bathroom door and calling it unmentionable things, reacted in a disproportionate way to something because we were tired or exhausted or stressed. We've all done it, haven't we? But that's also particularly true for children who have additional needs and who are prone to anxiety. So, we know what happens to our body. We get anxious, our heart starts to race, our muscles tense, we get into this fight-or-flight mode, which is our body's self-defence mechanism. And it's there for a good reason. It's to help us deal with potentially threatening situations. So we're faced with two things here, aren't we? How do we manage the situation or do we respond to that fight or flight reaction? One of the things I found with trying to explain to children fight or flight you know, children this high aren't going to pick a fight with mum or dad or a teacher or a grown-up who's a lot bigger than they are. And usually if they hit out, it's because they've gone into meltdown and they've got no control over their emotional regulation. 
one of the simplest forms of flight is avoidance, isn't it? How many of you have got children who get a stomachache just before they're about to leave for school in the morning? Or how many children do you see um, where you know that they've got homework to do, but they'll find any one of a number of other things. They'll even help you with the dishes, which is a shock. And then you realise that the reason they're helping is that they're trying to avoid something that is going to cause them stress. So again, there are clues for us there as, as parents and carers about identifying and what is the best way to help our children learn how to deal with difficult situations or high pressure. Because having high levels of stress hormones is good for a short period of time. And for many of you as adults, you might recall, for some of you may have experienced a, life, a time in your life where you felt quite depressed. And that's usually the consequence of prolonged anxiety and stress. It's almost like your body has produced so much, so many stress hormones for so long, it becomes completely tired. It's like that thing I mentioned before about driving a car with one foot on the accelerator and one foot on the brake. We need to think about what is the duration, because you know, anybody, can I, this is a silly question, how many people have ever lost their temper? <laughs> okay. How long does it take you to calm down? Quite a few hours, isn't it, really, before you really start to feel well again? And what's the last thing you need? Someone saying, calm down. Yeah. Um, it is sometimes about having strategies that help us manage. For me, I know if I'm feeling really stressed and under pressure, the best thing for me to do is I'll lie in the bath and I'll relax that way and I'll read a book or read the paper. For some people, it's a glass of wine or a pint. For some people, apparently, even shopping is a good stress reduction strategy. For some people it's reading, which I've never been able to do because if I'm stressed and I pick up a book to try and read, I'll get through 20 pages I've not took a single word <laughs> of what I'm reading. And we as grown-ups have realised, or we've learned, that there are certain things that help us calm down. We've all learned certain strategies to help us go, go for a walk, walk the dog, do a puzzle, whatever it might be, glass of wine, chocolate. Children often don't even know they feel anxious or stressed, let alone know how to make themselves feel better. And this is why, as parents, you need to have an understanding is of, is your child feeling anxious? Try and find out why. Perhaps try and eliminate some of the triggers. So if you know that breakfast time in your house is really stressful, then come up with a plan to make it easier. Whether that means you getting up earlier than your children so that you've got some time for yourselves to have a shower, have your breakfast in peace, have their uniforms and everything ready the night before so that they start their day as calmly as possible. Because actually what wakes us up in the morning is a chemical in our brain called cortisol. 
our brain has a cycle that tells us in the morning it's time to get up and start your day and it produces this chemical called cortisol to wake us up. And then we produce cortisol in high pressure stressful situations. But if you're producing cortisol all the time, not only is that exhausting, but your whole body clock goes haywire. You can't sleep because your brain doesn't quite know whether it should be producing cortisol or not. So understand how you can plan and organize and eliminate those stresses, those things or people or days or activities that cause your child anxiety and also help them learn strategies to manage their anxiety. And you've got a little poster in, in your packs that kind of gives you lots of different tips of different things that you can help your child learn, whether it's deep breathing or progressive muscle relaxation or yoga or mindfulness or even just lying quietly with their eyes closed, listening to a talking book or whatever it is. Um, every child is different. What works for one child might not work for somebody else. But what we have to understand is, if we find that we are in the same situation over and over again, you know, we do have to ask ourselves, am I just not coping with this, or is there something I could do differently? Is there some way I can change our family timetable or how I support my child with homework or whatever it might be, try and come up with a solution that prevents the stress or pressure in the first place. Don't do what I did as a student and wait till Thursday night to do your essay that had to be handed on a Friday morning when it's half price drinks night for students. So, great quote, isn't it? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And sometimes it's not as simple as that. Sometimes it's not just about doing things differently. Sometimes it's about changing our fundamental beliefs about some things or our fundamental beliefs about some people or how we generally look after ourselves and take care of ourselves and make sure that we don't neglect our own health and well-being because it's much harder to be a parent when you're feeling anxious and stressed and unhappy as well. So, I'm going to pull a volunteer up in a second so you can all start worrying you on the front bench. <laughs> but very simply, you know, your brain kind of has three levels. You have your brain stem, which is the part of your brain that deals with your body's temperature control and your heartbeat and stimulating the rest of your brain to tell you that you need to go to the toilet and things like that. So that's your brainstem. And then you have this second layer on your brain in the middle, which is called your limbic system, or sometimes it's called your emotional brain. And this is where things like fear, jealousy, love, territoriality, all of those kind of things, that's where a lot of that activity takes place. And believe it or not, that part of your brain works about 200 times faster than the top part of your brain, which is this blue bit, which is the thinking and the concentrating and the problem-solving bit. 
And you know, you mentioned before about when you're stressed, you get forgetful. You can't concentrate on any one thing. When your limbic system, your emotional brain, is in overdrive, it actually stops your thinking brain from working very effectively. Can anybody remember doing an exam at school, not being able to remember the answer to the question, but when you walk out of the exam 20 minutes later and you've calmed down and you think, why couldn't I remember that when I was sat inside the exam? Because your brain is designed, once it's in stress mode, your brain is designed not for you to stand and think too long. Your fight or flight mechanism is a survival instinct that is telling you to either run like hell or fight whatever the threat is. Now, we both know, well, we all know, don't we, that an exam isn't a threat to our life. And our fight or flight system is designed to protect our life. It was designed when there were wild boars and tigers running round Ormskirk. <laughs> now, that doesn't happen now, but we do have other things that cause us stress and pressure. And the really interesting thing about this is, is that our stress, the stress part of our brain, our emotional brain, works so much quicker. How many people here have ever put their hand on a really hot plate? Do you wait for the smell of burning flesh before you move your hand away? You don't, do you? you kind of, your hand moves away instinctively. In other words, your sense of touch has sent a message up your arm all the way to your brain to say, this plate I'm holding is really hot and it's going to burn my skin. And in a fraction of a second, your brain then sends chemicals to your heart which sends other chemicals to your adrenal glands, here above your kidneys, that then sends messages to send oxygen and glucose to your blood and all your extremities, your hands and feet, so you can move your hand away in a fraction of a second. That's how quick your fight or flight mechanism works. But in order to work effectively, what it does is it actually shuts the thinking part of your brain down and this is another reason why children with special educational needs who suffer from anxiety, as if they're not challenged enough by the fact that they might have dyslexia or ADHD or autism or dyspraxia, you know, if that isn't challenging enough for them in terms of their learning, if you add anxiety, then they're actually going to find learning almost impossible. So for a successful learner... A successful learner has to be a child who knows how to manage their anxiety. A successful learner has to be a child who understands if they're feeling anxious and knows what strategies they can employ that will help them manage that anxiety. And children will tell us, you know, they will give us clues and you'll say, you know, how are you feeling? And they say, me tummy's hurting. Where's the first place that you feel anxiety, physically? So, while there might not be saber-toothed tigers and wild boar running around Ormskirk anymore that are a threat to our lives, there are other things in modern life that we experience as threatening. Threatening to our ego, threatening to our reputation, 
threatening to our relationships. And those kind of things can cause a stress response. So, question you have to ask yourself about yourself as well as your children is, what are my triggers for stress? Is it your mother-in-law or is that just an old joke? You know? <laughs> is it a certain person? I worked with a little boy um, and he was doing really well in school, but on Thursday afternoons, the teacher said, I don't know what it is, but Thursday afternoons, he's always really difficult, won't do his work, won't stay on task. And I said, well, there's clearly something going on if he's fine the rest of the week, but Thursday afternoon and he's anxious. And it turns out that Thursday after school, he went to granddad's and grand grandma's and he didn't particularly like granddad. He didn't know that. He didn't have the self-awareness enough to understand, but there was a part of him at some level that felt anxious about going to his grandparents on a Thursday instead of being able to go home to his mums and dads and have his normal routine and his dinner there and play on his Xbox or whatever it was. So, what we need to understand is that our bodies can tell us when we're feeling anxious. And our bodies will respond and do what we ask them to do if we know how to do it. And your heart, believe it or not, communicates with your brain in a very instinctive and primitive kind of way. And that's part of our stress response. So it's really important that we understand that stress can be a positive thing. Pervasive levels of stress become anxiety and pervasive levels of anxiety affect our immune system. We become unwell and it also affects our ability to concentrate, to remember things and it affects our behaviour. One of the things that we recommend to parents is teach your children things that will help them learn to manage their stress, whether that is deep breathing exercises, progressive muscle relaxation, yoga, mindfulness, physical exercise, not just as a reactive strategy, but as a part of your daily routine so that you know that fight or flight sort of threshold that you've got. I mentioned before that when you've had a really stressful day, you get to the end of the day and that trigger, you're on a hair trigger and you bang your toe against the bathroom door and that's the thing that sends you into fight or flight mode. If you practice and encourage your children to practice daily stress reduction strategies, you will build resilience within their nervous systems so that that trigger becomes harder to switch. So, how anxious are you? There's something called the Goldberg Anxiety Scale, so we'll just ask all of you um, on edge. Quick show of hands. Oh, God. Right, okay. <laughs> Have you been worrying a lot? Quick show of hands. Okay. Have you been irritable? 
Have you had difficulty relaxing? <laughs> Have you been buying enough wine? <laughs> Have you been sleeping poorly? Okay. Have you been forgetful and losing things? How many of you found it difficult to concentrate or organise yourselves? Yeah, okay. Have you had headaches or neck aches, anyone? Any of you had sweating, going to the toilet a lot, tingling, diarrhoea? Probably a bit too much information. <laughs> So if you as parents have been experiencing all these things, then maybe, you know, there's a message here for all of us, isn't there, that, you know, we need to take better care of ourselves. We need to manage our anxiety because actually part of our responsibility as parents is to help our children thrive and enjoy good health and be happy children and achieve their potential. But they can't do that if they are anxious. So let's, as part of our parenting, or the work that we do with children, teach children coping strategies and management strategies and help them learn how to have a lifestyle every day that builds resilience within them. Exercise, yoga, mindfulness, all of those things should be part of daily life. Modern life in the 21st century is quite stressful for all of us, isn't it, at times? But we also have to walk the talk, and we also have to set an example to our children. And maybe it's not enough to say when your child's being acting out and being difficult, well, go lie down and do some progressive muscle relaxation to calm down. I think you maybe need to get down on the floor with them um, and, and do it with them. Because we all need that for ourselves as well. And you also, as a parent, need to think about what kind of things do you worry about? And how can you organise your life, your home, in a way that can reduce some of that stress? And planning and organising, and I know I've seen some parents do this with military precision, how they plan getting the children up in the morning, breakfast, getting them to school, things like that. But also, you know, anything from holidays, journeys in the car. Anybody ever been in an airport with children? Um, what do you do? What do you do to make sure, particularly when you're going to have your children in circumstances or situations or places that, are, that they are unfamiliar with, what do you do to help them prepare for that? Penny of prevention is always better than a pound of cure. We also need to recognise that as children are growing, they do have things that they do naturally worry about. We all know that children will go through phases, perhaps of being afraid of the dark, or afraid of animals, even afraid of things like thunderstorms. We have to just help them learn and realise that those things are not a threat to their lives. 
and that mum and dad are there to make sure that they're going to be okay. More than anything else, that whole genetic imperative in children is that need to be in a relationship with a primary caregiver who is you, the parent, for protection. And that's why a lot of children, and again, particularly with children with, with additional needs, get anxious when mum and dad aren't there. Who's going to protect me? Who's going to look after me? Who's going to make me feel safe? And, you know, even children of abusing and neglectful parents will still run to those parents if they've fallen and cut their knee or they feel anxious because there is an instinctive genetic driver that makes them seek that from you. That's what these young human beings need. They need to know that you are there and that you will protect them and take care of them. And if for any reason they think you aren't there, then they will feel anxious. And that is a very natural human response. So how do we spot anxiety in our children? Every child is different. We have to learn to understand what each of our children needs and what their particular stresses are. Homework, we all know, is a particular stressor for a lot of children, particularly children who have learning difficulties because we know it takes them twice as long and because they have developed an inbuilt fear of failure. They've developed this idea that I'm not a grade A student, so therefore I'm stupid. Well, that's not true. <coughs> Some children even have other types of behaviours where you think, there's a clue, they're not getting washed, they're not brushing their teeth, they're staying in their room all the time. You know, look for these things and try and find out what is that behaviour telling us that the child is not able to articulate to you or even understand for themselves. Acting out, tantrums, meltdowns, of course, are all clues. So, a little bit of data for you. We know that one in six children and young people will experience an anxiety problem at some point in their childhood. We know that young girls are at greater risk of suffering from anxiety. And we know that traumatic events, and I don't just mean abuse, but things like mum and dad splitting up, the death of a pet, being bullied, all of those things can trigger anxiety in children. And some children we know are just naturally more sensitive and prone to anxiety than others. But we also know that medical conditions like ADHD or sleep deprivation or migraines or any one of a number of different things can also be a cause of stress. And we know particularly for children with ADHD, for example, as many as 40% of those children will suffer from anxiety. And if the child has autism, between 50 and 85% of children with autism will suffer from anxiety. Genetics is a factor. The child's individual personality is a factor. And social factors and context and situation are also things that we need to think about. And again, separation anxiety how many, how many of you parents have still got children trying to get into bed with you at night when they're like seven, eight, nine years of age? Yeah? 
I was talking to a parent a couple of weeks ago with a 14-year-old son. Still tries to get into bed with mum and dad at night time. So, there are a number of different phobias. Um, but we also know, for example, that things like OCD, you know, compulsive repetitive behaviours, um, can often be a sign of anxiety, whether they're walking around the bed five times before they get in the bed, or whether it's something about how they are using food and things like that can all impact. Some children will choose not to speak. Some children even have anxiety related to particular academic subjects in school. It's important that we don't dismiss them. It's important that we take our children seriously. It's not helpful to say, don't be ridiculous. That isn't going to make the anxiety go away. Think about what you can do as a mum and dad to help your child learn and build and develop resilience. Because if we do that, then we're going to improve their attention, their memory, how they experience the world, their social relationships, their beliefs and expectations of the world, their physical health and, of course, their behaviour. And I think I'd just really like to finish with this idea of emotional resilience. For the first time, the Special Educational Needs Code of Practice included the concept of emotional resilience as key to successful learning and achievement. Not just learning and achievement in the national curriculum, but learning and achievement in life in general. So maybe go home, have this conversation with your partners, have a conversation with your children, <coughs> find out whatever it is that's going to help your child learn how to be a happy, healthy, successful, emotionally resilient child who can achieve their potential, whatever that potential might be. Thanks very much indeed.